right, if you'd join me in a word of prayer as we prepare to take in the word. Oh, righteous and holy God, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for who you are and that you have reached out to us and made that clear. Help us to understand who you are more and how you reach out to us and how you want us to be a part of that. We ask this in Jesus' name. We ask that you'd communicate to us through your word, through softened hearts and at going forth and accomplishing your great purpose that you've already prepared in advance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our main text today is going to be Mark 4, 1 through 9. I'm going to read this from the ESV per usual. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen! A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell upon the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of, no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell on the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed, seeds, that is, fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. Mark 4, 1 through 9. It was 11 years ago. <clears throat> you guessed it. First Congregational Church of Barrington Men's Saturday Morning Bible Study. <laughs> I don't remember the conversation, but I do recall Clint Dodge's comment. You know, Clint Dodge. You know Clint. You don't really, but you sort of do. You know the proverbial Clint, and that's who I'm speaking of right now. I'm also speaking of the literal Clint. Clint said, the parable of the sower is the saddest of parables because it's so true. And while I believe Clint believed the rest of the parables were true too, because he's a, he's a believer and he believes the word of Jesus, I think what he meant was that he can really see the reality of the parable of the sower in daily life. And when I looked at this, I have to say, I agree with Clint. It's, it is, in some sense, a, a sad parable because when we see this sower who goes out and sows seeds, three out of four situations, it does, there's no lasting good fruit, only one out of the fourth. But it is also an encouraging parable because there is that one seed that does come to fruition and yield, it yields much, much crop. Last week we were looking at Psalm 119 and how God has revealed himself to us, 
He is the creator. We are the created. And on our own, we can't come to an understanding of who God is. On our, with our own brains, we're not going to naturally come to that, oh, that, our own conclusion of that, especially because of our sin nature. He has to reveal himself to us. And he's done that in, in a couple different ways. He's done that through general revelation, by way of review, general, general revelation is the revelation that he's made clear to all humans, Christians and non-Christians alike. Every, everybody can experience the general revelation. And that is when we look around at the created order, we are left with two options. Either it just happened and that doesn't really make sense or that there's a creator. The, the created order around us points to a creator and there's the conscience within us. Not everybody has the Holy Spirit. Only believers have the Holy Spirit, but everybody has a conscience and the conscience convicts us and it gives us this, this universal idea of right and wrong that transcends culture, it transcends generations, and it transcends places. Think about this. This might come up in the future too in another sermon, but that'll be a while down the road. Think about this. <clears throat> there are certain things that differ from culture to culture. Some people take their shoes off outside a house. Some people keep them on. Sometimes it's considered polite in some cultures to pick at your meal like a bird. Other cultures, it's considered polite to shovel it down like you're a wild desert donkey coming in to the, eat the grain. However, there are certain virtues that transcend cultures. Think about this. Nobody, nobody values cowardice. Nobody. Nobody. There, there might be some cultures that define bravery and cowardice differently, but when each one comes to the conclusion of what it means to be a coward, there's no culture out there that hails cowards. <laughs> nobody, nobody likes that. There, there are certain things about a conscience that spread across and God's given, God's revealed himself to us in our conscience in that there's a, there's a conviction of right and wrong and if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we're not always doing it right. And then there's the special revelation and that's what we're going to continue looking at today. The special revelation of most specifically Jesus Christ, God revealed to us in Jesus Christ the incarnation, also through the miracles and also through the special revelation of the word of God that he's given us. That's what we're going to most specifically be looking at today. And we're going to look at it through the, form, the special revelation form of parable. Jesus often spoke in parables and here's one that we have today, the parable of the sower. We're going to look at this through the lens of the sower, the hard-hearted recipient, and the soft-hearted recipient of the seed. Sometimes those two will overlap and blend together as, as we're looking at it. So first, let's look at the text. The setting is shortly after Jesus had chosen his 12 disciples. And this is at the, happening at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus just told this parable and then he goes on to explain why he speaks in parables 
in verses 10 through 12. We'll read on and we'll go up through verse 20 because Jesus tells why he speaks in parables and then he explains this parable. This is kind of a unique one in that he actually explains it to his disciples and we get to listen in on his explanation of this parable to his disciples. Verses 10 through 12 say, and when he was alone, let's rewind just a little bit. Remember, he was talking to a large crowd. There was a large crowd before him. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Wait a minute. Doesn't Jesus want people to turn and be forgiven? For the hard-hearted, parables serve as a warning. For the hard-hearted, the parables serve as a warning. For the soft-hearted, parables reveal truth about Christ and his rule. There are other places in scripture where we hear about hard-heartedness. You might remember in Exodus, and we looked at this probably over a year, from, a year back when we were going through Romans, when, when Paul alluded to it in the book of Romans. In Exodus, you might remember how scripture says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And without going too much back to that text, we can say that we understand that this doesn't mean that God just arbitrarily decided, I don't want Pharaoh to know me, so I'm going to make his heart hard because I want to just pour out these plagues. It wasn't like Pharaoh was a nice guy who was seeking the Lord and God just didn't want him to seek him anymore. Pharaoh was already going down that road. Sometimes when God hardens a heart, that's not to say that the human's the good guy and God's the bad guy. Far from it. Far from it. It's to say that sometimes, sometimes God lets us experience the results of our own devices. Sometimes he has to do that. Um, sometimes that could be a form of discipline. It could sometimes be a form of judgment. And sometimes it's actually, it's really a form of mercy. Sometimes it's a form of mercy. Sometimes we don't come to God and those of us who even who know God sometimes won't turn from sin and turn back to God until we've come to the end of our hard-hearted rope. There are some people who come to Jesus when they're in a very comfortable setting in life. There are some young children who come to Jesus in, in, a, in a nice home, in a Sunday school classroom. Everything's as it should be. They accept Jesus. They didn't really have that, that, that dramatic prodigal son era in their life. And then there are others who you hear these dramatic testimony stories of people who, who were on the verge of death uh, or, or who were in prison and they have these stories too. And there's a whole spectrum. We, we were talking about it this morning during our time of prayers and praises. God meets us where we are. In verse 9, Jesus says, he who hears let him hear. When, we're, when God is revealing himself to us, when he is revealing himself to us through the special revelation 
there comes a time when we need to surrender our self-reliance and we need to and we need to submit ourselves to him he who has ears let him hear in verse 12 jesus said refers to he hearing but not understanding and he alludes to isaiah 6 9 to 10 which isaiah is talking about israel's hard hearts hear but not understand and in verse 13 jesus says to his disciples how then will you understand? His disciples could be at the risk of hard hearts. We could be at the risk, even as believers, of having hard hearts at times. Now, some people, some people disagree. Some Christians disagree as to whether this parable, most specifically, is meant for the believer or the, the non-believer. When we look at what's happening here, Jesus is saying this parable to a very large group of people. And then he's explaining it more specifically to a smaller group of people, including his disciples. I think there's applications to the non-believer and the believer through this parable. And so that's what, how we're going to look at it, the applications to both. So going back to Isaiah, this is a quote, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Sometimes God allows hearts to be hardened. He has to allow certain consequences to come into lives to bring people back to him. The Israelites were privileged to be God's chosen people, but were they always thankful for that? Sometimes they got very used to being God's chosen people, and they became arrogant. They became prideful, they became hard-hearted about that. And they, and they had this, this comfortable feeling, oh, we're God's chosen people. And then they felt like they could add some idolatry, they could do this and that, we're God's chosen people, that's okay. Can that be a risk that we fall into sometimes? Knowing Christ? Sometimes when a believer comes to Christ, when, I should say when a person comes to Christ, when someone becomes a believer, they're at first so grateful that God has saved them and they're like, wow, you mean all my sins forgiven? What? Even that? No, no, no. Even that? Yes, even that is forgiven. And they're filled with gratefulness and they have the natural response of wanting to follow the Lord but then sometimes, as we continue on the journey of life, we can become complacent. And that's where hard hearts can set in sometimes. We can become complacent, we can forget about God's grace, and we can kind of dumb it down in our own hearts. We can become complacent. Do we remember God's grace? And are our hearts softened as we think about the gospel? We just sang a song about that this morning. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin on the cross. The Israelites, including the scribes and the Pharisees, were very familiar with Scripture. They knew it very well, extremely well. They had large portions of it memorized. And outwardly, they kept the law very well. They perhaps became so familiar, I don't want to say too familiar with Scripture. We should always keep on knowing it more. But they were so familiar with it that they missed the Messiah himself. And they were a key example of these people who are hearing but not understanding. 
Can we be like that? Can this serve as a warning to us, even as believers, as, as we take in the word of God, how do we approach God's special revelation? Do we have to be careful that our hearts are soft? I think we do. And that has to be intentional at times. We get familiar with scripture. Do you ever have a, a certain parable or a certain Bible story that you've heard since you were perhaps a lad or a lassie and you're so familiar with it, it's kind of like, oh, it's that story. And you have to watch yourself like, oh, that's God's special revelation. There's still a, I've heard it 368 times, but there's still, the word of God is still alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And there's still a message in that, that the Lord wants to communicate to me, no matter how many times I've heard it. Years ago, I had never been to a church that in, its, in the church title was called Evangelical Church. I had never been to a church that had the word evangelical in its title. And there was a certain church nearby. Um, it was called, and still is called, Durham Evangelical Church. Nearby where I lived, that is. And I, th I thought, huh, that sounds like a cool word. I would like to go to an evangelical church sometime. And I went. And the, the preacher preached uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I, I knew that pretty well. I had played the robber in the Bow Lake Baptist Church Sunday school play when I was a lad. <laughs> and I, I knew that pretty well. Okay, parable of the Good Samaritan. A good, you know, quintessential parable. Okay. And then there was another time I went to another church that had evangelical in its name. Hmm. So I wonder what New Hope Evangelical Church is like. I went there. The preacher preached on the Good Samaritan. <laughs> Wait a minute here. And this was months, maybe years afterward. I was like, huh, that's funny. What a coincidence. I'm hearing this parable of the Good Samaritan. And then... Years later, or, or maybe months later, this wasn't over a span of a whole lot of time, maybe like two or three years or so, I went back to the first church with the name Evangelical in its title. All right, I'm really wondering what makes a church an evangelical, no, evangelical free, that's what it was, evangelical free. The word free kind of makes it seem, hmm, what does that mean? And that's a story for another day. It's, it's, it's not a bad denomination or anything, it's not. But, it's, but I was wondering, evangelical free, what does that mean? So I went back to the first one I had gone to, and guess what the sermon was on? You know it. Good the Good Samaritan. And it was the same one he preached. I remember it was the same one he preached a couple years ago. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. It's always the Good Samaritan. Is this, is this what every evangelical church, evangelical free church preaches every Sunday? It's just Good Samaritan every time? But you know what? Even if they did, which, by the way, I haven't been back. Nope, that's not true. I did go back to the second one a second time, and it was on the parable of the ten virgins. So I know it's not, it's not like that every time. I was going to say, that it, might, it might be. Everyone might be doing it. We just might not know. But, no, they do, they do preach other things. But for the sake of considering this, even if... They did preach the parable of the Good Samaritan every Sunday, which I don't think that's a good thing to do in a church, preach the same parable every Sunday. But even if they did, couldn't God still communicate to us ever anew every time? I'm not sure how I took it the third time I heard that. I don't know how, 
how I hope that I was receptive. I don't know, that was years ago. But I have to say, I was tempted to think, you know, I, I've heard this one before. And that's how we can be when we approach Scripture sometimes. We have to be careful that familiarity doesn't cause us to have a little hardness of heart so that the Word doesn't take root and take fruition in us. Now, I had John 3.16. I've probably said this before, and I'll certainly say it again. But I had John 3.16 memorized for years before I ever understood it. Isn't that interesting? And it seems, it seems like some people would say, how is that possible? How could you not under, how could you have that memorized for years and not be a believer? The parable of the sower explains this. So let's take a look at the different parts of the parable of the sower. First, let's take a look at the sower himself. The sower ultimately is Jesus. The sower ultimately is Jesus. In this, in this context here, he is speaking to these people. And we know that many people who Jesus spoke to followed him, but not all continued following him. We'll get to that in a minute. Jesus is saying this before the crowd and his disciples. Jesus is the ultimate sower. He shared the gospel message with us. And he himself carried out what the gospel is. His life, his death, and his resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. So what is, what is the sower? The sower is the one who is sowing seeds. And the seeds are the word of the kingdom. The seeds are the gospel message. And we could, and we could even, I think a larger application of that could even be the word of God in general. But I think most specifically here, the seeds are the gospel message. Let's look, a look, look at verses 13 through the end as Jesus explains this parable. Picking up in verse 13, Jesus says, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, where they, when they hear... Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. So there's the first option. There's a path. Seed falls on the path. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word. That's what the bird symbolize is the enemy who takes away the word before it takes any root at all. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Jesus is the ultimate sower. And Jesus has given us a commission 
that we are to sow seeds too. In Matthew 28, he, he gives us a, the great commission to go into all the world and spread the message and make disciples in a nutshell. And that's for all of us. So a sower ultimately is Jesus, but the sower is also you and me. The sower is also anybody who in, in the daily life is a preacher of the true gospel. And it doesn't have to be a preacher like I am preaching right now. It can be a communicator of the gospel. The Lord wants us all to be sowers. He wants us all to go out and sow seeds. And we can take heart when we look at Jesus' example. Not everybody listened to Jesus. Do you ever get discouraged when you're, when you're trying to sow seeds? When you're trying to witness to non-believers? You have your friends, your family, your co-workers, and you're trying to live out a life that pleases the Lord in front of them, and you're, trying to, and you're trying to introduce them to Jesus, and you're trying to invite them to church and share scripture with them or whatever you're doing, and maybe you've said many prayers for them, and yet they seem disinterested. It just doesn't click with them, or they just don't get it. Take heart and don't grow weary because even Jesus, as he lived the perfect life and everything that he said was in perfect tune with the Father, even he, uh, not everybody followed even Jesus. Not everybody followed even him. There were those who didn't follow him at all. There were those who started to follow him but then turned away and did not continue to follow him. And we can take heart because we realize sometimes, sometimes we get overwhelmed with the Great Commission. Some, do, you ever, do you ever get overwhelmed and you, you start to wonder how qualified you are to share the Christian faith? And, and sometimes we can look at ourselves too much and, we're, and we feel a personal sense of rejection if, someone, if we try to sow a seed and, and someone doesn't respond to that. But the fact is, it's, it's not about us that we're selling. It's that we're, we're passing on the message of Jesus to them. And take heart. There is that fourth seed. There is that fourth seed that comes to fruition. We'll look at that a little bit more at the end. There is that fourth seed. But three out of four don't ultimately grow into a good crop. So if you're out there and you're sharing with your friends about Jesus and you're telling your family about Jesus and, and it's frustrating sometimes because you want, you want to see the crop, don't you? We all want to see the crop. Of course we do. The crop of good faith. But we don't always see it. But take heart. There is that fourth seed. Keep on, keep on sharing the gospel. Keep on looking for opportunities. Keep on praying for open doors. Because even if you don't see the seed coming to fruit, Understand that some of those seeds might come to fruit and it might take walking by faith and not by sight. And that's actually a good thing for our souls. Walking by faith and not by sight. We need to keep a kingdom perspective on this. It can be easy to want to see the results. But so often in the Christian life, we don't see the results right in front of us. That can be frustrating because we live in a society of instant gratification and we want to see 
B right after A. Sometimes we just have to have faith that God is doing the work behind the scenes. And we have to keep at it. When we don't see it, keep at it. Have faith. Now, when we look again at verse 20, but those that were born, or those who are, that were sown, rather, on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. This parable is also in the books of Matthew and Luke, and in one of the other accounts, it mentions that this, this happens with patience. So it's not always immediate. It's not always immediate, and we don't always get to see it. Just as a farmer sows some seed in the soil, there is that waiting time. There is that waiting time, and some things might come up before others, and some crops might look promising at first, turn out not to be, but then some of the ones that looked not so promising, and maybe took a little extra patience, a little extra faith, eventually yield good fruit. We need to keep a kingdom perspective. 60-fold, 100-fold, you never know what's going to come of it. You never know what God will bring out of it. Let's take a look at the hard-hearted recipient. What makes this difficult sometimes? How, how, could, how could I have John 3.16 memorized since I was probably like third grade in Sunday school, but not really get it till I was 19? Can you relate to that? Did you ever have that experience or something like that? Do you have friends or family members and you know they've heard the gospel and it's not that complicated. The gospel's really not. It's not super complicated. It's Jesus, Jesus is God. We have sin. It separates us from him. We can't have a relationship with him. Our sin will kill us physically and spiritually for eternity. Jesus took the sin on to himself. He went to the cross. He died the death that we should have died. And then he rose from the death. And now we can rise and have life in him. And all we have to do is believe it. And, and confess it with our mouths that he is the Lord. But sometimes you will hear it again and again. And like we were talking about this morning during our prayer time, as Grace was sharing, sometimes people can have so much, know so much about the Bible. And they can be so religious and somehow it still just works, 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 or whatever it is to them. This is the parable of the sower gives, shines some light on this. The fact is there, is, there is a real spiritual battle for the gospel message that happens behind the scenes. And that's why it's important that as, as we sow seeds, that we keep on doing it, and that we don't get discouraged, and that we don't say, well, I did sow seeds, and I don't see anything. Maybe I'm just not a good enough communicator. Maybe I just don't have enough faith. Maybe, and, and the enemy can give us all these temptations of reasons to disqualify ourselves from the Great Commission. But the only reason why we're qualified for it at all is because Jesus was qualified and he sent us. Not because of anything we've measured up to to begin with. There's a real spiritual battle for the gospel message. In verse 15, again, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. 
Sometimes people hear the gospel, they hear the word of truth, and the enemy snatches it away. That's why it's important to, to keep on, keep on sharing the gospel, keep on living out a good witness. People go through different seasons of life, and they might be thinking of the parable of the sower. Someone might be in a different season of life where God shifts their heart and, and softens the soil. So, well, you know, this person, they were raised in church and now they want nothing to do with God. You never know where they're going to be a month from now. You never know. Only God knows that. Only God knows that. There is this, uh, a real spiritual battle for, for the word and for the gospel. And we need to contend for the faith. There is liberalism. There's, there's this, this idea, and so many of the things we shared in prayer request time are coming to, are, are weaving in with the sermon. That was certainly not, not planned, but that's kind of normal, isn't it? Because the Lord's alive. <laughs> there's this idea of liberalism, and it's in so many churches. And it's this, it's, it's, it's almost hard to put your finger on it. It's this idea of a social gospel. And what, and what we mean by that is, is that the, it's this idea of the gospel is love your neighbor. Well, no, that's not the gospel. That love your neighbor, yes, that's a very important command from the Lord, but that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. We don't get to heaven by loving our neighbors. The fact is we don't love our neighbors enough. There's this idea of the social gospel. And I think this is one of the ways that Satan comes in, and even in, in, a, in local assemblies of churches, Satan comes in and he blinds people's hearts and he snatches away the gospel. I was in a liberal church for years and I, I, I heard all the pieces, but they were never really put together in a clear way. Anybody ever been in a church like that? You hear the pieces of it. Yes, Jesus died and rose again. Yes, God loves us. Yes, we are sinners, but the whole idea of the cross, it's just not really explained clearly. The whole idea of Jesus needing to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and the whole idea of we need a redeemer and that we're lost without one, it's somehow glossed over. It's foggy. Somehow it gets foggy. And the essential message becomes taking care of the environment and being good citizens and loving our neighbors. And then somehow Jesus on the cross is sort of, and the death and resurrection is sort of in the background. I think that's a way that the enemy, sometimes, we, they hear it, people hear the message, but the enemy comes and snatches it. Here's another way. This is a fancy word, and whether or not you're familiar with the word, you know what it is. Postmodernism. That's a big thing today. You might call it relativism, and while it might sound like a fancy word, you know what this is. It's basically this. Your tr you have your truth. I have my truth, and as long as we're sincere about it, we're both right. We're both right. And that's the whole idea of all religions lead to the same place. That's where we see it played out sometimes. That's something that the enemy uses to blind people to the, to the word of truth. And it's good that we understand this, because these are the, when we go out and we try to witness to others, we need to understand that many people, especially young people growing up today, are exposed to this. And this is a way a lot of people think. And a lot of people who would claim to be Christians think this way. A lot of people who claim to be Christians think that anyway is relevant. 
But again, as we were sharing this morning, God can meet people right where they are. They don't need to understand the theological nuances to, to be saved. They just need to have a basic understanding of Jesus. But we should be aware of this. There are people, that the, the whole idea that, that Christianity is, is the truth and therefore other faiths are not the truth, that whole idea is foreign to many people today. To many people, that whole idea is foreign. It sounds evil to them. They actually think that's, that's harsh and, and egotistical for us to believe. We should know that many are coming from this perspective to be able to be used by God to meet them where they are. And for us, that, that way of thinking, we should be careful too. Even when we know Jesus, when we approach the Word of God, so that the enemy does not snatch away what we're trying to understand, we need to realize that as God revealed himself to us, he's revealed himself to us in literature, in the Bible here, and he communicates to us through ways that the literature would make sense. Let me try to say that a little bit better. We need to read the, the scripture in context. Some people say the, most, the three most important rules of interpreting the Bible are context, context, and context. And I think they're right. Context is very important. Oh, something that, that lots of people can, with the best of intentions, fall prey to is doing something, some people call this lucky dipping. I don't know where that term came from, but something like this. I want my, I want my, uh, my word for today from God, my inspiration for today, here it is. God's word for me today is? <laughs> and do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh. Because <laughs> uh, let's try that again. I don't like that one. That wasn't the winning lottery. Let's try this one. Therefore, my inner parts moan like a liar of Moab, and my inmost self of Kir Harashith. You see, it doesn't really work that well. I mean, you know, when people sometimes do like the tear-off day-by-day calendars, I'm not against tear-off day-by-day calendars. There, they can, there can be some that have very well-selected scripture on them, and there can be like, like, the ver like certain verse of the day things can be very well selected. And there are some verses that can be standalone verses that don't take a whole lot of contextual understanding. But as you can see, and I certainly didn't mark this at all, as you can see, it, it I mean, what if people, people do this? This is how I used to think, like, I thought this was the most spiritual way to do it. I used to think this. And I was like, I'm not going to just read through a chapter of the Bible. I'm going to let the Spirit lead. And I didn't actually dramatize it that much. But let's try this one more time. I'm not doing this just to fill the sermon. I'm doing this to make a point. <laughs> let's try this. Oh, let's, let's at least do the New Testament. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. 
Okay, so you can kind of, kind of apply that one if you understand the background of 1 Timothy. But the point is, people, while Scripture is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and while the Holy Spirit it works with Scripture to bring it to our mind in a very unique, precise way, while that's all 100% true, and we should expect that and expect to hear from God as we approach the Word, it, the Bible is literature. It is, God did communicate in an orderly sense through literature, and this is not some magical, this ma some magical device where we can, because it's the Bible, take a sentence out of context and just apply it to anything in life. It just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. So understanding context is important. And in today's postmodern world, people ignore context because lots of people will say, well, what does this mean to you? Here's the thing. The Bible has one, each scripture has one meaning, and many of them have many applications. It's one meaning and many applications often. That is to say, when God spoke this through the prophet or whoever it was who he spoke it to, there was a specific reason why he spoke it, and this is what he meant. He meant a specific thing, and it's important for us to understand that first, because we can take a scripture and we can and we can recreate its meaning in a way that God never intended for us. And in many ways, and in many cases, people will do that. They'll say, what does this mean to you? And that's an important question, but it shouldn't be the first question. The first question is, what, what does it mean, period, to the, to the audience who first received it? What does it mean to the people who first received it? And how do we find that out? Sometimes we can understand that even more deeply by reading commentaries and things like that. But the, but the simplest, most essential way of finding that out is simply reading the context. We wouldn't do this with any other book, right? You're not going to open up the book Robin Hood and turn to page 27 and read a sentence in the middle of the page and think you're going to understand Robin Hood. You might if you're familiar with the story. So when we go to the Word, we should under, make sure we're, we're understanding, and this, is, and this whole thing we can pray through, too. This is not some cold academic approach to studying the Bible. It's just the reality of understanding God communicated us through His Word. There are different types of genres in this. We need to understand when we're reading poetry that it is poetry. Does that mean it's not true? No, it's still true. But we need to understand that God uses metaphors and He uses similes and different literary devices to communicate to us. There's a difference between, between a story that's being told in the Bible and a command. We might find commands within the story. But we, we should understand this, and it's not more complicated than it sounds. It's simply understanding the context, understanding what's around it, rather than recreating our own meaning. So when we recreate our own meaning, that's when the enemy comes and he snatches it away and says, I'm happy if you, if you, I'm content with you. That's the introduction part. That doesn't count. When my life was fainting away, oh, okay. Yeah. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. 
Maybe someone would pick this up and randomly read this and this is God's word for me today. I must go to the temple. I must go to the temple. Run to a Jewish temple and run. I don't know. <laughs> Understand context. Understand context. Finally, we get to the soft-hearted recipient, and we'll close on this more encouraging note. The soft-hearted recipient. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. That's a that's a. I had to look this up in some study notes to understand this because I don't know anything about agriculture today. I know le much less about agriculture a couple thousand years ago. But a hundredfold's a lot. That's like a that's an epic proportion. And I I read that a normal a normal harvest would be like, like 10 to 15 fold, like 15 being pretty good actually. A hundred fold is a, is a monumental part. And the point is, the farmer doesn't know which ones are going to come up. We've all seen some of these other examples, and they can be confusing. You know the person who, you have this friend who hears the gospel, and and they get excited about God and they're, they're in fellowship and they're, they're serving the Lord and following the Lord. And then they just kind of go off the radar. Where are they now? What are they doing? Don't we all have that friend or that relative who kind of, is that kind of in that category? And then there's the person in going, who went through a trial and they seemed like they were strong in the faith. And then a trial came and just shipwrecked their faith. And then they walked away from God. Where are they now? What are they? And we don't know. We don't know what they're doing. Are you in a trial right now? Are you going through a trial? Don't worry. If you're not, you will. In that trial, we have a wonderful opportunity to shine for the Lord. Because few things like trials make us shine and our character to shine for who we really are. Few things show who we really are like trials. And I don't really like that truth, because I'd rather, I'd rather have the smooth seas, personally. But it's true. But it's true. Yet, we do also see the good, the good crop, the good fruit. Not many people know the name of Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher who shared the gospel with him when he came to faith. I didn't even look it up. I think it was Mortimer or something strange like that. Most people don't know his name. He's not that famous. Probably no one will write a book about his life. Maybe a brief article or something. Probably not a whole lot's known about him. The fact is, he sowed seeds. I don't know how many other seeds he sowed. I don't think any of the other ones came to fruition in, in the way that we can see, like Billy Graham. But think about that guy, this, this scarcely known Sunday school teacher. Not a, not a famous person. The only reason why his name's even on paper anywhere is, is because he was Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher. But think about that. You never know. You never know. As you sow the seeds, keep on sowing. Be encouraged. Keep on sowing. And we don't have to see the fruition. We don't have to. It, there might be some random person who you run into at the grocery store and, and you're able to share the gospel with them. And you might never see them again. They might not even be from this town. And you never know how God might use that seed in their life. 
and how God could tremendously use them in the kingdom. And this helps us to grow in our faith because it helps us to keep on sowing seeds even when we don't see the fruit. And it helps us to remain humble or deep in humility because we realize when we don't see the fruit, we realize I'm doing this because the Lord has told me to do it. And I, and, and I have no control. I'm releasing control here. I'm sowing these seeds. I, I want to see some fruit, but that's up to the Lord. That's between the Lord and them. I have to leave this in the Lord's hands. And finally, here's a homework assignment. But this is a fun homework assignment. It's like one of the ones where you get to draw. I always like those. But this one doesn't involve drawing. It's just kind of like those. You, you, can draw, you, can, you can draw a picture to go with it too if you want. I don't know how you would. But here it is. Read Psalm 119. We'll close on this thought. Read Psalm 119 and see how many times you notice the psalmist ask God to help him understand the word. And, and to ask, and how many times a psalmist pleads with God to help him approach the word. I find that very encouraging and very challenging to think if the psalmist himself who's writing this needs to ask that so much. Don't we? Don't we? And spend some time in prayer about, about how you approach the word of God and use Psalm 119 as a means of the Lord speaking to you and commune with the Lord about how you approach scripture in general. And we'll close on that note. Let's join together in a word of prayer. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, uh, for communicating to us that you're not a mystery out there. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, who you are, and letting us know how wonderful you are. And we pray, O oh God, that, that you'll help us to keep on sharing the faith, help us to keep on casting out those seeds and not to be discouraged by what we see, not uh, when we don't see things, let us not become prideful when we do, but to give you the glory and help us to keep on sowing those seeds, Lord. And help us, as we approach your word, help us to remain soft-hearted, and we pray that you speak to us through your word and show us how your disciples, how those who follow you come before you and, and they need to plead with you for the softness of heart to let your word in and take that root. We ask this in Jesus' name. We thank you for our time of fellowship. We ask that you glorify your name with it. Amen.